Welcome to the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Hello, America. Welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. Davos is in session this week. Uh, there's been some changes uh, through the dictatorial process of executive order and through the administration. Uh, your representative probably hasn't been heard on this. It is a purging again of more doctors and nurses who believe in life. We'll tell you about this coming up in 60 seconds. First, let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It's Patriot no- uh, Mobile. Patriot Mobile is a company that believes in the Constitution, believes in freedom of speech, you know, Second Amendment, Third Amendment, all of the amendments, really, they're a big uh, fan of. Maybe not the 18th Amendment, uh, but that was taken care of by the 21st, so dare I say more. Um, Patriot Mobile is out fighting for the things that are truly American, not extremist, but truly American. Our rights, our freedoms. Now, they are also a mobile phone company. Now, this is a group of people that wanted to make a difference, and they were in the mobile phone business and they thought, why don't we make Patriot Mobile the world's only uh, and first Christian conservative constitutional mobile phone company? And with some of the profits that they make, they go out and they're at your school board meetings. They're supplying information. They're doing all kinds of work in their off hours with some of the profits that they make and they're saving you money they'll give you the same great service and sell coverage because they're on the same towers so if you switch you get the same coverage you get a lower price you get better customer service and you're helping save the country go to patriotmobile.com slash back 972 patriot is the phone number switch they'll make it very easy and free activation when you use the offer code back today join me make the switch today patriotmobile.com slash back or call 972 patriot so in davos today uh they are talking about rebuilding trust and the number one thing they feel is the greatest threat is misinformation and disinformation the second biggest threat is misinformation and disinformation in elections uh they believe that uh people like me lie uh and tell you falsehoods and uh you know what we say about the uh, World Economic Forum is absolutely untrue. They're not trying to destroy. They're trying to build a better world where we all can be free. Uh, I don't believe any of that, um, but that's what makes me a threat. So they are trying to work on how to uh, combat disinformation, what they call disinformation or misinformation from people like me, how to combat people like me uh, and anybody who speaks out against the World Economic Forum, the WHO, COVID, any of that. They are also hearing um, uh, the arguments from the World Health Organization that disease X is right around the corner and they need to band together because last time we acted fast, but this one's going to be worse and we have to even act faster. And that's why we need to have uh you know, digital identities and national IDs, and we have to have all of our information given to the government. We got to do it quickly because of disease X. Now, 
I'm not an extremist. Um, I believe in the rights that were given to man, man, woman. I don't care if you're an independent Democrat, Republican, you're a space alien. I don't care. We are all created equal and endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. And those rights begin with our own bodies. And you can't tell me what I have to put in my body uh, to be legal. No, that is my decision. Well, what about uh, abortion? Well, abortion is different because it involves another child. Um, you know, if if we think that a child is a child in the womb, and we think it's a child just because the mom wants that child, and so it's actually a baby, and if mom doesn't want it, it's just a clump of cells, that's insanity. That is a sign that you have a serious mental disorder. It's always a baby. You just don't want to admit it's a baby because then you'd be killing babies. But that's becoming more and more popular uh, as we uh, as we go. Now, it seems like killing babies and killing perfectly healthy people and um, and letting, in fact, in Canada, helping teenagers commit suicide because they're depressed. I, I'm, I'm not somebody that agrees with that, and uh, I question the doctors that are. The reason why I'm talking about this is because I want you to know the left is talking about a dictatorship. I'm talking about the Constitution. The Constitution will tell us that our administrative state is out of control. I don't want anyone to have control where they can write laws and tell us what we have to do through administrative action. We're a republic that should go through Congress and then signed by the president. And if it's unconstitutional, go to the Supreme Court. But the left and Joe Biden has done all kinds of things that are very, very un-American. One of the things that is very American is that we have our own choice. We, we lead our life in a certain way. If I, if I want to do business and do you know, one thing, I can do that as long as I'm not harming others. Uh, but now we're taking this away, and the Department of Health and Human Services have now issued new regulations that rescind conscience protections for doctors and nurses who are forced by their employers to perform procedures that violate their beliefs. So we're talking about forced sterilization, abortion, assisted suicide, gender transition surgeries. This you won't be able to be a doctor if you disagree with doing those things. You're not going to, according to HHS and this new regulation, you no longer have the right to say, I can't do that for religious reasons. This is extraordinarily disturbing because I know who progressives are. Now, you might be a progressive and say, well, I don't agree with the killing people and everything else, but you have to understand if you don't have that understanding, it doesn't mean that other progressives at the top don't have that understanding. You are looking at a group of people, and let's use the WEF, that are truly in a death cult. How could I say that? Well, anyone who says we should get rid of all of our energy before having energy to replace it is sentencing millions of people to death in the cold. Um, they're sentencing to death when it's hot and there's no air conditioning. You're sentencing them to starvation by taking away fertilizer.
because you put the planet above people eating. Now, there's a happy middle where we can all go, but you don't replace something with nothing. Otherwise, you're causing death. It is truly a death cult. Uh, otherwise, honestly, we would be investigating all of the things that how did COVID happen? Where did it come from? What really happened with the vaccine? What is the danger? But we're not doing any of that. Only crazy people are doing that. Let me tell you how this, how this actually works. And I want to do it by telling you about the crime of the century in the early uh, 20th century. The arrogance of saying something is the crime of the century because you hear that, you know, over and over and over again throughout a century. But sometime during the uh, evening of March 1st in 1932, there was a 20-month-old baby that was kidnapped, snatched from his cot in the nursery on the second floor of the family house in New Jersey. Dad was downstairs, didn't hear a thing. A broken ladder was found nearby, along with footprints, tire tracks, uh, and on the windowsill, a handwritten ransom note that just said, baby safe, instructions later, act accordingly. It was the crime of the century. And the reason why it was the crime of the century was not because the ransom was $50,000. This is in the 20s, so that was an awful lot of money. That's uh, about a million dollars today. It was paid on April 2nd. It's not because of the biggest manhunt that had ever spread across the U.S. It's not that the poor defenseless baby had been stolen. The reason this was the crime of the century is that the child was the son of Charles Lindbergh. He was the national hero who had completed the first solo flight 3,600 miles nonstop from New York to Paris in 1927. Now, what happened in this is Charles Lindbergh was never investigated. He wasn't considered a suspect. Even when six weeks later, the child's battered body was found less than five miles from his home. It was discovered by a pair of delivery drivers who had stopped for a comfort break in the woods. Coroner examined the corpse, determined the cause of death, two heavy blows to the head. Um, Lindbergh Sr. helped lead the investigation, which two years later resulted in the conviction of a German immigrant who was still protesting his innocence as he was strapped to the electric chair. Everyone's heart was broken by the child and uh, Lindbergh's wife, Anne. But is any of that true? Investigation after investigation was stopped. Because Lindbergh was famous, he was connected, he was also a very deep progressive. Now, Lise Perlman, she is a retired judge. She's a celebrated author. She has now come out with evidence that says, no, that's, that's not what happened. She believes that not only did Lindbergh have a hand in his son's death, but he may have sacrificed his son because he was disappointed in his son. He sacrificed his son to medical science, permitting his pal uh, Alexis Carroll, the Nobel Prize winning scientist, to experiment on his child, then fake the kidnap to cover up the disappearance and the death of the child. 
Apparently, Lindbergh was very disappointed that his firstborn son was, quote, in his words, a weakling with an abnormally large head. And so her theory is, is that he thought his child could be more used to medical research than to him and Anne. She says, my theory is the child was operated on. We think at the very least that his carotid artery and probably his thyroid were taken out and kept viable for 30 days. We think he died on the operating table. But there's more. I think Carol conducted the operation with Lindbergh's permission, and Lindbergh was likely present. It surely beggars belief that Lindbergh, a national celebrity, could have committed such a heinous crime. In 1928, he was Time Magazine's Man of the Year because he's the guy who jump-started air travel. He went on, became a Pulitzer Prize-winning author, explorer, and environmentalist. He was the American dream at the time, but perhaps not. She said she has lots of leads on the, con- uh, on the kidnapping that were not followed. About a dozen state witnesses likely committed perjury, she said, and the prosecution had 90,000 pages of investigation they didn't let the defense see. This throws up some really uncomfortable questions that nobody wants to talk about. And they say these are rumors, but I believe these are facts. He was very anti-Semitic, as was Henry Ford. He was a Nazi sympathizer. Um, He was also a liar and a serial philanderer. Uh, Together, he and Anne had five children, but Lindbergh fathered another seven, the products of three separate affairs happening, and none of his illegitimate children were allowed to know who their dad was until after he died in 1974. He was controlling. He kept a log, a note on each child's trans, uh, transgressions and insisted that Anne record every cent of household expenses in a ledger. But most damningly, he had enthusiasm for eugenics. We I don't think I need to tell you what eugenics are, um, but he really believed we needed to weed out the weakness and improve the genetic quality of the human population. He also was uh, very much into the pioneering of organ transplant surgery. Makes for disturbing reading. He was obsessed on how we could keep organs alive and be preserved outside of the body long enough to be transplanted. If this would have happened, he would have revolutionized medicine in 1930. But this is where... This is coming from now. The evidence looks like he might have actually been experimenting on his own son. Don't know if this is true, but it should be pursued. The reason why I tell you this story is Lindbergh is very much like some of the people today that you look at. Uh, Noah uh, Haval uh, Harari is one of them. He is a scientist, I guess that you could talk to anybody at Davos, talk to anybody in the elite circles today, and they'll say he's one of the greatest minds ever. However, his words truly echo the early eugenists that say there are unlivable lives, there are going to be useless people, and we have to decide what we're going to do with those useless people. His first uh, attempt to deal with them is to drug them and just get them online 
and keep them online where they can just waste away online. Useless people is also the things that Charles Lindbergh signed up for, the things that anybody who was in the medical field signed up for in Germany. It wasn't the jackbooted thugs that were killing children. It, were, it was doctors and nurses, scientists, and great leaders of the world. It came from America and then went to Germany. So when I read something that Biden has is trying to once again clean out the medical community of anybody who objects to anything because they have a religious conscience, that is a check and a balance on our medical and science community that, quite frankly, if you don't think we need it after what happened with COVID, I think you're sadly mistaken. These people are very, very dangerous. Don't be duped. Back in just a second. Let me tell you about real estate agents. Uh, I trust.com. I have a, a series of qualities I look for in a person if I'm going to do business with them. I look for honesty, uh, willingness to work hard, to try to get the job done right, uh, willingness to say, no, that's not really my skill, but I know somebody that can cover that. Um, you know, somebody that tries to get it right the first time has competence, knowledge, capability. That's what we look for uh, in a real estate agent that we would recommend to you. This is my company. And the agents we work with take their jobs seriously and we vet them. I mean, literally, it takes weeks to vet these people. We have a waiting list of thousands. We don't take any more because we want to make sure we're watching these people. We're hearing from you. We can continue to keep them on our list to recommend them to others. They know the best practices. So don't take my word for it. Contact them today and find out for yourself if you're looking to move across the street or across the country. Real estate agents I trust.com will help you find the right agent. Real estate agents I trust.com. 10 seconds, station ID. So there's something else that I think you need to know. Um, if you go to the IBM website and you look at IBM and AI and medicine, You'll see, how is artificial intelligence used in medicine? Artificial intelligence in medicine is the use of machine learning models to search medical data and uncover insights that help improve health outcomes and patient experiences. Thanks to recent advances in computer science and informatics, uh, artificial intelligence is quickly becoming an integral part of modern healthcare. AI algorithms and other applications powered by AR, uh, AI are being used to support medical uh, professionals in clinical settings and ongoing research. They talk about how this is going to be a support tool that will become more and more important to doctors because it will check doctors. Now, my question is, who's programming this? We know it's AI, so it's going to take programming, and it's coming from IBM. I would just like to remind you that it is uh, the computer, the AI computer that is used now by doctors that is specially made for medical treatment is called, uh, I think it's Watson X, I think. Uh, Watson is the name of this AI program. It's named after Thomas Watson. Uh, 
case you don't know who Thomas Watson is, he was uh, first a star salesman, and then he became the head of IBM uh, in the 1930s. He was a big supporter of Adolf Hitler. Uh, he did a big relationship and a big business relationship with the Nazis. Um, and uh, the concentration camps used IBM uh, computers. The train system used it as well. It's how they knew how many people to take from the ghetto and who to take from the ghetto to put on the train and where that train should go. It's how they became so efficient. IBM sent repair people over to the concentration camps. They were the ones helping. And now IBM is the one helping our medical community with a computer named after the guy who was working with Hitler to liquidate the Jews. I don't know, IBM. Uh, feel a little uncomfortable. Glenn Beck. Hey, it's Glenn, and I want to talk to you about personal safety for you and your family. It's a year-round priority, and things are only going to get more dicey. You need to develop a plan, and when you do, put buying Berna's less lethal pistol at the top of your 2024 resolution list. It's Berna, B-Y-R-N-A. You're looking for protection. You need a reliable tool that can send potential threats running in the opposite direction. It's legal in all 50 states. There's no background check required. It fires powerful deterrents like tear gas and kinetic ammo, and Berna can incapacitate attackers for up to 40 minutes. It's the new gold standard in less lethal protection by government agencies and law enforcement agencies all over the country. I own the Berna SD Launcher, and it is a great complement to all of my firearms. This helps me protect my family. Proudly American, and they can ship directly to your home. So visit Berna.com slash Glenn now. Exclusive 10% discount, B-Y-R-N-A dot com slash Glenn. Welcome to the uh, Glenn Beck program. We're glad you're here. Uh, Trump obviously won last night, a commanding victory for Donald Trump. Uh, not really a surprise, um, but uh, he was, what was the final? Was it 51 or? Yeah, Donald Trump 51% gets 20 delegates. Ron DeSantis 21.2% gets eight delegates. Nikki Haley 19.1% gets seven delegates. Vivek Ramaswamy finished at 7.7% and gets three delegates. Those are his, even though he's dropped out of the race. He'll still have them at the convention. And then Ryan Binkley, pastor from <laughs> Dallas, 0.7. And Asa Hutchinson, 191 votes statewide. After a year of campaigning, he gets 0.2%. He did worse than Binkley, Binkman. Bink Binkley, and it Binkley. was not even close. Right. Was not I even mean, close. That is crazy. That is crazy. Catastrophic uh, for poor Asa. Yeah. Ace is on suicide watch today, I think. Mm -hmm. Don't don't let him have his shoestrings or a belt. Um, let me uh let me talk now about uh what's coming. There's a new poll out for New Hampshire, but this is without any of the news that happened last night. So this is a poll that was taken uh just after Nikki Haley started to show some growth. So we don't know what it means today, whether it'll affect it one way or another. We don't know. But here is the latest poll from New Hampshire. Yeah, this is um, New Hampshire. And it's, uh, I think, American Research Group who did the poll. This is 
the 12th through the 15th of this month. So it includes yesterday, but obviously would not include anything after the results. Correct. Uh, and it has uh, Donald Trump and Nikki Haley tied at 40 at the top in New Hampshire, followed way, 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 way back with Vivek Ramaswamy and Ron DeSantis still on the, uh, both on the ballot uh, at 4%. So why do you think she's doing so well in New Hampshire? Largely, it's because of the way the the primary works. You're going to have a lot of independents and Democrats, and she's going to crush in that group, as she did in Iowa, by the way. But the numbers in Iowa are not nearly as high as they are in New Hampshire uh, among those groups. She does very, very well in those groups, wins by wide, wide margins. And yeah, she, you, that will help her seen, there, but it won't help her in these other states. This is yeah. this is the problem of the candidacy. Ha, have you ever seen any research done on whether people switch and say, you know, I'm going to vote for the Republican and I'm usually voting for Democrat or vice versa because they mean it? Or is it just to screw with the election? It, it, there are definitely some. The percentages are relatively small when you're talking about people doing the what Rush Limbaugh used to call Operation Chaos back in, right. what was it, 2008? Um, it, there's definitely some that do it. Uh, the majority of people who vote in those primaries, typically, at least according to the polls, are people who are either legitimately considering or undecided voters who are looking, or they are people who are... Um, have are deciding to vote that way for sure there are always some but i mean like for example one of these states i can't remember it might have been uh i can't remember which state it was now that i've looked at so many polls over the past few days but it was like two percent of the electorate consider themselves liberal right so it's not a massive part of this in a tight primary like the one in new hampshire it can make a big big difference and of course in new hampshire you have a lot of people who are moderates maybe libertarians maybe uh, people who are even leaning a little bit left that may consider Republican candidates where you might not see that in, you know, other states like New York or Massachusetts or Vermont. Um, there's a, a maybe a more independent electorate uh, there in New Hampshire, which we kind of all recognize. But, I, you know, look, Haley has a chance to actually win New Hampshire. I, I don't I don't know if this my guess is it doesn't really hurt her for finishing third by two points behind DeSantis. Doesn't hurt her in New Hampshire. Um, you know, when we were talking about the way these polls came out and I, or the votes came out in Iowa, there are a couple different dynamics, right? There was a question of whether Donald Trump could clear 50%. He did do that. Um, there was a question of who would finish second. We saw with DeSantis squeaking out. I, I mean, I think he had to beat her and he did. He had to, or he would have been done. Yeah. Nikki Haley. Look, you know, Nikki Haley, if you go back six months, this is a dream result for Nikki Haley. Right. But, you know, but uh, you know, she wound up being a little bit below expectations of the last couple of weeks, but still a decent showing. And she's still in the game in New Hampshire. And then Vivek Ramaswamy, who was promising all sorts of things uh, yesterday with big turnout drops and, out. and he drops out almost immediately mm -hmm. after promising to stay in. Of course, that happens every year. So you, you look at uh, Ron DeSantis because people will say, hey, Ron DeSantis, he's a He's not, uh, he didn't make any inroads. He, you know, people don't feel the way they thought they felt about Ron DeSantis. That's not true. The He is, I think, if you're voting for Trump, he's either number one or number two for you. Um, you know, he's, as uh, far as you're either going to vote for Trump 
uh, if he's the candidate, but you would rather vote for Ron DeSantis or you're voting for Trump. And if he was out, you'd vote for Ron DeSantis. So it's it's almost uh, in many ways the same voter as Trump. So why vote for Ron DeSantis when you've got Donald Trump uh, to run? So it's uh, yeah, no, I, it, it's I don't think his position in the party or any I don't think this says anything about him for a run in what will it be 28 yeah uh you know look i think the polling shows that he's still popular within the party he's usually the second choice of trump voters um and you know of course there is a much different profile as a candidate of what you know the way they run their you know run oh, yeah, their operations yeah, yeah. right like so you know, you're gonna see some but differences there um yeah. but what's i think um what's interesting it's like right now, you most people would, would argue, even though Ron DeSantis finishes in second place, that Nikki Haley is really in second place in this in this campaign right now. She's about even with DeSantis nationally. She has a much better chance of winning a state uh, that is coming up soon, which is New Hampshire. The next state after that, you know, Nevada's caucuses are a little weird. So yeah. leaving them aside, you go with South Carolina as the next big state. And, and South Carolina is Nikki Haley's home state. You could see there's an argument there. But... The, the difference here is, while Ron DeSantis is probably not going to be as competitive in any given state after Iowa as Nikki Haley will be in New Hampshire, there's a path to win with Ron DeSantis' approach. It, it's like, he is going for the voters that like Donald Trump. And he mm-hmm. got about 20% of that 70% of voters, and Donald Trump got 50 in Iowa. That's not enough, obviously. It's not enough to win. Um, however, Nikki Haley, you know, really is looking at these 70 percent of voters who really like Donald Trump and getting almost none of them. And yeah. if you can't get any of those voters, you have really no path to the nomination. And no, she can't seem to pick any of them off. What your path is, is that you are hoping that enough Republicans will hold their nose and enough uh, Democrats or independents. You know, the parties have never been weaker than they are right now. People are identifying as independents. Um, they're, they're, the, the average independent is not for, um, you know, socialism and all of this crap that uh, Joe Biden is doing. But they also, I think, the average independent, many of them have been convinced by the media that Republicans want something radical when really... No, we just would like a return to normalcy. You know, a lot of Republicans were on that bandwagon when Joe Biden said that. We just didn't believe he would bring normalcy. We knew what he would bring. This. Uh, and um, that's the only path. It would be truly the independent vote, I think, that she would be going for. And she would need a lot of Democrats to make up. Yeah, and it's a just lot. you can't it's, you can't win Republican primaries. You can win them in individual states with that approach. You can. You can't win Republican primary elections as a whole with that approach. It just doesn't wind up working over the long term. So she's put herself in a position, and I, you know, I don't. She she's not trying to say she's liberal. She's not trying to say she's more moderate. She's just cut out that group, uh, you know, that part of the electorate. And for whatever reason, even though she hasn't been very critical of Donald Trump, in fact, over and over again, she said he was a, a, the right president at the right time. And they've all tried to walk this weird line where they don't say anything bad about Donald Trump for months and months on end. 
I don't know that there's an opposite approach that works there. No one's been able to find it if it does exist. But it's fascinating to watch this. She's, as you pointed out earlier on when we were talking, maybe it was Steve Dace we were talking to, you know, she, she was a Tea Party candidate. When she, when she ran, she was a popular governor among Republicans. And just her brand of Republican politics has largely just fallen out of favor. And she doesn't really have a path to win over this new energy of populism. She's from an, an older school Republicanism that actually doesn't poll badly in general election audiences. You mentioned a poll earlier today that has her way out in front of Joe Biden if she actually made it to the general. And that's really her main argument here, where Don, both Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis in most of these polls can squeak it out over Biden. She usually has a seven or eight point lead over Biden, which is impressive. But there's no path for her to get to the position yeah. in which she can utilize that support. So what is the what is the poll number look like in South Carolina? Um, South Carolina has not honestly had a ton of new polling. Um, I can pull up a, a, a summary here in a second. Um, but, you know, I think you, you South Carolina being, you know, what is I don't remember the date of it here. I have it in my calendar. Uh, South Carolina is yeah. still 39 or, days away. Yeah. So we have a while before South Carolina um, pops up. A lot can change. Uh, right now, Trump at 54, Haley at 25, DeSantis at 12, and Asa Hutchinson at 0.5%. I don't know where Ryan Binkley is in the state, Glenn. We're going to have to check that, apparently, <laughs> when we're monitoring these polls. Um, he's going to do great. <laughs> he's gonna I'm do great. for that Bankerman. I love Bankerman. <laughs> love him. But, I mean, you know, look, Haley at 25%. If she has a good uh, New Hampshire showing, you could see that closing and her being relatively competitive in in that state especially if you know something were to change the one thing that uh, people keep talking about the wall street journal has written an op-ed saying ron DeSantis should drop out and i think what people are not calculating here is that the DeSantis vote is not an anti-trump vote if ron DeSantis drops out i think it's probable the majority of his voters would go to donald trump not to nikki haley and i think there's a strong possibility that DeSantis might even endorse trump in that scenario so, I, I, again, it, these people who are like, you know, live or die, I don't want anyone but Trump to win. I, I don't think DeSantis dropping out is what you want. You probably want DeSantis to, to stay in and keep fighting to see if he can get one of these later states to turn around a little bit. Or maybe just the tone of the entire campaign changes with some external event like a crazy legal development or something like that. That's probably what you have to look for. But Trump, look, Trump has a massive lead here. He is... I don't know that he was ever beatable in this situation, Glenn. Let me give you a, a new poll from The Economist. YouGov uh, asks U.S. citizens to predict who would win regardless of who they preferred. Of those surveyed, 44% said Trump, 35% said Biden, 21% said I have no idea. Split down the middle regarding support, 43% say they were supporting Biden, 43% saying they were supporting Trump. Back in just a minute with more. The following content identifies as a commercial. Isn't that lovely? The Glenn Beck Program. We'll be right back. Hey. 
Aches and pains are just part of getting older. You know it and I know it, but that doesn't mean you have to just accept it. That's why I want to tell you the story about Nancy from Texas and her Relief Factor story. For years, she took care of horses and gave riding lessons. She started getting older and Nancy began feeling the effects, so she decided to give Relief Factor a try. It didn't work overnight, but it did work. These days, she says, I have more stamina because I don't hurt. With Relief Factor, she can keep going and doing more. I can relate, as I used to have terrible aches and pains in my hands. It was to the point that I didn't even want to get out of bed in the morning. But ever since starting Relief Factor, I've got my life back. If you're living with aches and pains, see how Relief Factor, a daily drug-free supplement, can help you feel and live a better life every day. To get started, try Relief Factor, their three-week quick start kit. It's $19.95, comes with a feel-better-or-your-money-back guarantee. Visit relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF. That's 800, the number 4, RELIEF. Welcome to the Glenbeck program. So uh, I don't know if you saw the uh, the acceptance speech from Donald Trump last night, but I thought it was really good. Conciliatory uh, mentioned all of the candidates said, you know, we all have to come together and I don't want to be too harsh on the president, he said, uh, but he is the worst president we've ever had and is destroying the country. So I'm glad he held back a little <laughs> A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I, I mean, that might be good for other countries. There's yeah, some positives to destroy yeah, the there country. Is. Yeah. Okay. You know. um, so the VP pick for Donald Trump. Here are insider uh, predictions. Sarah Huckabee, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would make sense. Tucker Carlson. Uh, and, seem like, just, you know Tucker relatively well. I mean, does, does he seem like the type of thing he'd want to do? No. No, it doesn't. It doesn't no. strike me as an outsider that he would want to do that. Yeah, um, Vivek and Christy Nome. Mm-hmm. I think Christy Nome is definitely on that list. Vivek, I, I, yeah. I mean, you talk to him about Vivek. I, there's definitely some arguments you could see in Vivek's favor. Um, but Sarah, I, I don't know. Sarah Huckabee Sanders makes sense to me. Uh, she was very loyal to him. She was very good. I thought a very good press secretary. Um, did a uh, did a really good job. Um, went back, became the governor, has mm-hmm. done fairly well as uh, governor. Yeah, very popular. Uh, is a woman, you know, is an evangelical. I mean, it, to me, that makes sense. And obviously has already kind of mastered the art of defending Trump and his, and his policies yeah. and potential misstatements. Yeah, been, absolutely. It was actually her job. Uh, so, yeah, yeah I mean. Uh, she's it, good at it. She's definitely one you could see potentially in that role. Um, I, I it's fascinating because, I mean, this is where we are, right? We, we're we at the point where we're just talking about his vice presidential picks, and it's because it doesn't feel like much of a contest. You know, we've been no. talking about this for a while, and it, I think people, it never really turned into that contested primary that so many expected. You said earlier that when you have people saying the election was stolen uh, and people begin to feel that way, they feel like, well, then he deserves a second chance. I think people see this just as the re-election of Donald Trump uh, and that, you know, he was the guy. He was shorted unfairly uh, and he's the guy who is standing up for the little guy. And uh, I remember my grocery and gas bill not being so bad under him. The Glenn Beck Program.